Hello and welcome to Be a Better Leader, focusing on the new world of work and how your leaders can help your organizations thrive. I'm Jennifer Colosimo. I'm the president of the Enterprise Division at Franklin Covey. And I'm joined by Liz Wiseman, the CEO of the Wiseman Group, as well as the best-selling author of Multipliers. Thanks for joining me again, Liz. Oh, Jennifer, it's so good to be here. Um, you know, one of the really interesting and I think unique things in Multipliers is this focus on looking for genius. You know, the shift from there's only so much genius in the world. I know the geniuses versus no, everyone has a native genius and how finding that helps and drives engagement, better results, so on. Can you speak a little bit to this idea of looking for genius? Well, you know, looking for genius, I think is one of the fundamental roles of managers. Now I probably started my career trying to get people to do their jobs. And I think it took me I don't know, maybe decades to figure out that Ryan, rather than trying to fit people into narrow jobs, a much more productive and rewarding approach for everyone is to look for what people just naturally do. Like, what is the work that just flows from people? And to figure out how to use that in their job, or maybe even use it across a broader team. So native genius, the way I refer to it, or natural genius is what people do easily and freely and why it's so important to get access to this is it's what people does do easily and freely so if you do it easily you do it well and quickly it saves time like people do brilliant work effortlessly Mm -hmm. and it's what we do freely meaning we do it without being compelled um, commanded or rewarded or even recognized it's like we want to do it And so what you do is you get great work done proactively. Kind of like it's getting that flow state going across your whole organization. So as a leader, you can find it. You're going to get the best work from people and they're going to do it um, gleefully. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't reward them and recognize, but they're not waiting for it. It's kind of like everyone's working in this sort of like bonus time. Well, and obviously all of us as leaders have, and we felt, I think everybody has felt that moment in time, at least as an individual, where you lose track of time to your, to your point, flow state, you start to just, that's how you want to contribute. So what are some practices, some questions, any ideas on how to identify that? Well, I, I usually find the hard way to do things and the easy way to do things. And, you know, the hard way to do this is for a manager to spend a lot of time with someone, to observe them at work, to kind of be studious about it, to look for what do they do, not just in their job, what do they do at home? What do they do across their whole life? Now, there's an easier way um, for those of you who don't have time to study people or you're working on opposite ends of the country or different time zones or countries or languages is to simply ask them. I'd love to have this conversation that has a whole team like you and you don't have to be like, what is your native genius? It's a little bit weird, <laughs> perhaps even creepy. But mm-hmm. What, you know, what is the kind of work that you feel like you just do freely 
and easily? And um, what is it that your mind was built to do? What is it that you can't help but do? I also like to look for what is it that people can't help but do? They're going to do it not only when they're not asked, they're going they're just going to do it. Almost even if you ask them not to do it, they're going to do it. Um, and and I I find like if you just listen to people, they'll they'll tell you. And you know the hard way to put it to work is to you know look for opportunities everywhere. Okay, is this a place where we can put Jennifer's native genius to work? Now the easy way is to say like Jennifer, we love this thing that you do brilliantly. Like we respect it. We need it. You know, if you see places where you can add value, like go for it. Or the easiest, easiest way to do this is to have this conversation across an entire team so that everyone's aware of each other's native genius and everyone's scouting for opportunities to use it. It takes all this pressure off you as a leader. Right. And, and I, I, I probably would, I think I could guarantee that every organization that we have sat down with the team and had the team talk about each other's native genius. It felt a little bit weird at first. And when we were done, I think to a organization, they've said it's the best thing we've ever done as a team. Great, great, great practice, great hint, great team activity. Um, and also I love you getting to the easy way. I was thinking, yes, I'll need to s- sit and observe everyone, none of whom are co-located with me. So I'm gonna shift a bit, Liz. I know you've been asked about this quite a bit. I've been asked about it quite a bit. Our organizations are looking for ways that leaders can help build resilience in their teams. Um, The ability to have a setback and and come back from it and even thrive out of that. And how you build resilience, I think a lot of what is in multipliers drives toward that. Can you speak a little bit either to the role of resilience, how a multiplier can help build resilience in an organization as a leader? Oh, well, Jennifer, I think you captured two really important facets of resilience. One is the ability to come back, you know, to, to bounce back from something. And the other is to thrive. And I, and I think they're, they're a little different. So I want to take each piece. Um, you know, I think one of the most important things leaders can do right now is to build a team that can learn individually and learn collectively particularly where we're leading in times of uncertainty, we're bound to be making mistakes. So how do you create an environment, not that is mistake-proof, I think that's a lot of old thinking of leadership. Like, okay, we're going to create an environment where people don't make mistakes. Right now, you need to create an environment where people can come back from mistakes. And, you know, to do this, we need to kind of detoxify this idea that, you know, making a mistake is avoidable, that making a mistake is bad. Um, you know, helping people build resiliency is really helping people learn, helping people come back from mistakes. Now, there's a little line in multipliers that I see uh, quoted and tweeted a lot. And as I was writing it, I thought nothing of it, but um, it goes something like this. It's like the highest quality of thinking cannot emerge without learning and learning cannot happen without mistakes. And I'm like, why would people be quoting that? That's so obvious. (laughs) Maybe to you, I think. But it just seemed like nothing to me. But then I I think that that is what building resilience is about, is like, how do we turn like mistakes into learning and that learning into high quality thinking? And the leader's job is just to build a very rapid recycle, uh, which is like, okay, someone makes a mistake. 
they can admit that mistake, which is an important leadership job, which is how do you create enough safety that people can say, I screwed this up mm-hmm. rather than pretend that didn't happen or turn that into some faux success. Um, I made a mistake. Like I, 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 I um, can admit that I can learn from it. I can bounce back and try it again. And so how do you go from mistake to success really fast? It's, it's almost like the coach's job in helping athletes recover. You know, if you talk to any, you know, these pro athletes, what they're trying to do is they're trying to shorten recovery time from strenuous workout to when their bodies can then do another strenuous workout. And there's all sorts of like treatments and therapies and um, vitamins, I think substitutes. I don't know what the word is. Um, right. Supplements. Thank you. Supplements that people can do. And and that's what we want to do is we want to reduce recovery time between you made a mistake, you came back and you found another success. Now, one of the ways that leaders can do this is talk about their own mistakes. Like, oh yeah. You know, it's funny of all the things we looked at that leaders do and what they can do to create an environment of learning. The number one thing was talk about your own mistakes. Mm. Yeah. I, I had young kids when I was doing that research, and I think it was one of the reasons why I spent so time with my own kids, not talking about, oh, mom was great, mom was popular, mom was smart. I was like, oh, yeah, I was a complete screw up. And and it wasn't until um, my daughter said to me, I think she's probably in middle school, she's like, you know, mom, grandma tells very different stories about you and your childhood. And I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah, grandma talks about all the things you did well. And I hadn't realized that I was focused on my mistakes because I wanted them to know it's okay. Well, and creating that space, like you mentioned, that is a shift. Um, And as you think, especially about work and that maybe lack of feeling of control that a leader or a manager has as things have been shifting and people may not be in front of them. You know, one of the shifts is I need to put a lot of pressure to get the best work to how do I create the space for the bold thinking, the innovative thinking, the ability to create resilience in this group. Um, One obvious great hint, practice, is admit your own mistakes. Do you have others that help create space? Oh yeah, you know, um, how you react to mistakes is going to um, really shape that environment. And, you know, is a mistake something serious? Or is it actually something to kind of enjoy? Now, one of the practices, and this is from my own experience as a leader. Um, I think I read a, a book. It was called The Double Goal Coach out of Stanford. <clears throat> and I read it at just sort of the right time in my life. And what they talked about is that the best coaches, youth sports coaches, they have routines that allow people to recover from mistakes. They have recovery routines. And I remember something from that book where um, when somebody really flubbed up, they the coach would like f- do this flushing motion. Like, you know what? We're gonna flush that right down the toilet and, and it's gone. And so I would do a lot of things like that with my team. And uh, one of the things I did was we would have screw up of the week. Every week at our staff meeting, I'd be like, screw up of the week. Sometimes people would share their own. Sometimes I would say, I'm like, okay, everyone, before we start, we got to talk about what Ben Putterman did this week. Okay. Ben Putterman did this and we would laugh and Ben would laugh. And you could look at that and say, oh, wow, look at Liz. What a cruel leader. 
but actually it was saying like, you know what, this is going to allow Ben to move past it. And it's going to let everyone know that if you make a mistake, you're not going to be mocked behind closed doors. You're going to be mocked right here for two minutes. And then we're going to move on and you get to move on. And I think like being able to be lighthearted about it actually allows people to move forward. Well, and, and obviously to be able to do that, you created some level of psychological safety. Not, you know, it was safe to do this. It was normal to do this and undoubtedly did help build the resilience of the team. Yeah, I think one huge collective um, example of this we've seen recently, this um, being recorded in June of, of uh, 2021, is the Dear Intern um, phenomenon on, on Twitter. So a lot of people know that HBO erroneously sent out some message to millions of their customers. And it was like a test, okay, you know, testing something. So it turned out, you know, someone from their IT department sent out this test email. It went out to everyone in the production database. And the initial wave was people like, oh, what a big screw up. Well, then HBO says, okay, it turns out, yeah, this is sort of like, um, maybe a little uh, stereotypical, but it was like an intern's mistake. And so Twitter then erupts in this trending line of dear intern. And it was dear intern. You know what? It's going to be okay. Like, let me tell you about mine. And so it's a fun um, thread to follow. And it's everybody saying like, let me tell you about this thing I did. Like, don't worry, you're going to be okay. You know, I once brought down a production database. I once did this. I once accidentally, you know, like deleted everyone's employment in the company and I lived to tell. And I think that represents this kind of spirit that leaders need to build on their team, which is not to encourage mistakes, mm -hmm. but to encourage people to recover and to perhaps even be a little bit light. I love that story. Um, and we, we don't have time to go into all of mine because I could definitely add to the dear intern uh, trending right on Twitter. So many things. So Liz, thank you for joining us. We appreciate talking about creating space, creating resiliency, having that psychological safety and really appreciate your stories. Thanks for joining us. Jennifer, thank you. Thank you.